Eric Leclerc owns Team CrossFit Academy. He competed in the first CrossFit Games. You got to make these deep-rooted connections with meaningful folks that were just like you, that were like really jazzed about opening their first gym or coaching their first team or getting out and you know spreading this grassroots semi-counterculture uh, vision or you know methodology out into the world. Now, different, right? My name is Chris Cooper. Every week on this podcast, I explore the big questions about CrossFit, gym ownership, and the fitness industry in general. This week, our question is about CrossFit's glory days. Are they past us? Are they here right now? Are they coming in the future? We're exploring this question this week because in the next two weeks, Mike McCallowitz author of The Pumpkin Plan, Profit First, and his new book, Surge, will be on this podcast and we'll be talking about how to capitalize on a surging idea. Is CrossFit surging? Are we expanding or are we contracting? Are these our glory days? Several years ago, HQ staffer Pat Sherwood was in a conversation with someone who was sending their coach to take their L1. The gym owner was sure that their coach was going to like it, but he wished that they could have taken their L1 back in the days when Pat Sherwood led the course. But when confronted with the comment that the gym owner wished his staff could have the experience that he had, Pat Sherwood responded, and I'm paraphrasing here, that everyone's glory days are different. When I took my L1, Sherwood was one of the Flowmasters, or at least one of the instructors. But people who took it before me say, well, Greg Glassman was my instructor, and Nicole Carroll and Dave Castro were there. You should have taken it then. And people who took it after me say, well, these guys were my instructors. You should take it now. Every day in CrossFit is somebody's glory days. I've been around since 07, but in this episode, you're going to hear from somebody who was competing in the first CrossFit Games at that time. You're going to hear from somebody who was involved in the CrossFit.com message boards long before that. You're going to hear from people who competed as recently as last year. You're going to hear from people who've owned a box for as long as I have and even longer. And I'm going to ask them all the same question. Is this CrossFit's glory days? Have they passed? Are they still to come? Not all of these guests own boxes, but some of them do, and their perspectives are different, interesting, and all of them are true. Josh Murphy was an early moderator on the CrossFit.com message boards, and he's now president of the CrossFit Foundation. Yeah, so I've been involved posting online way back in the early 2000s when uh, there were just a few dozen of us uh, posting from mostly all over the U.S., but all over the world, and uh, just looking for, you know, a great kick-ass workout every day and a great way to engage uh, with like-minded folks on a range of topics. And, uh, you know, so I've I've seen the evolution of the glory days kind of change over the years, and, uh, you know, I think for me, it's exciting to see where we are now and, and everything that we're able to do within the CrossFit community, the power of the community that we have, uh, the, just the global reach of it is just is just amazing to see. Um, I remember early on when there weren't affiliates or there were just a handful of affiliates and 
to identify where where you could meet another CrossFitter. Now, you know, with the affiliate finder map, there's there's no there's no challenge to that. You can you can basically go to any city and um, and and find a uh, number of choices to go to drop into at gyms all over the world. So it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy to see that happen. Uh, coming from from an era when there when there were affiliates, and it was a bunch of folks doing it in the garage or doing it in, in global gyms and uh, just putting in hard work back then. So, um, you know, I think I think those were were some of the glory days. But I think there's also, you know, today it's, it's very very different, and the, you know the, the the focus is is still the same, right? So there's a lot of other discussions that go on now that. Uh, back in the day, it was around specifically the workouts, the methodology. Um, I think we moved a lot beyond that. Uh, it's kind of proven that it works, and I think uh, we're looking uh, now for, for other aspects of the community and, and the business side of things. There are some guys, especially the real OGs, who miss certain aspects of the community back from the early 2000s. Uh, do you have anything in common with those guys? Do you Do you feel that way about any elements that were present in the early 2000s that might not be now? It's different, but I think the evolution, at least in my view, has been, you know, a very positive one. I mean, I think from the beginning, it's all about getting people fitter, and the more people you can reach, the better. So, um, you know, some people like to harp on it and say that it's changed or whatever, but I, I welcome that change. I'm, I'm positive about it, and, and, you know, there's just more friends now, right? So, um, you know, for me, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, there's that instant affinity that you have with other CrossFitters as a shared kind of community. And I don't think that's changed, even as, as big as we are now as, as a community. Um, you know, I think that's still there. That still holds true. I still think that, um, you know, CrossFit is attracting a certain type of person who, who wants to, to be better. And, uh, you know, I think another amazing aspect about, about the CrossFit community is the fact that the reach is so broad now and, and over the years, um, you know, through our shared community, we've been able to impact so many lives on a, on a fitness level, but also with uh, our charitable giving. And, and obviously that's an area that's, you know, very important to me um, with, with the role that I play, you know, a small role that I play with that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's impressive to see the community rallying around specific causes and uh, the impact that we're able to have on a, on a global scale and, you know, what we're going to be able to do in the future. You know, just this last week, we, we launched a video of, uh, of another CrossFit gym opening up in a hospital. I mean, how, how cool is that? And, um, you know, the ability to, to have uh, CrossFit facilities all over the world and the ability to impact the health and fitness of folks um, all over the world is huge. And uh, I'm just you know, awestruck to see how far it's come and, and the reach that we have and the ability and the willingness in the community to, to band together, um, you know, over the years has been awe-inspiring for me and um, the potential now is I think even greater to, to harness that, that, that desire to, to help one another and uh, to impact positive change. Bob 
Ashovan is 53 years old. He just retired from being a gym teacher. He was inspired by one of his former students, Julie Fouché, you might have heard of her, to try CrossFit. He qualified for the CrossFit Games in 2014 as a master. He made it back in 2015. In 2016, he opened a box. This guy has been around fitness his whole life. He's been to the top level of the CrossFit Games, and he thinks CrossFit is just about to surge. When you take a look at the number of boxes out there, you take a look at the number of athletes participating, you take a look at the capabilities of the athletes that are participating. Uh, The skill level in every age group has done nothing but go up. The strength of the athletes, again, at every age level, including going down in ages, adding the teens in, and going up in ages, there's places now that are adding extra master's divisions because there are so many athletes, 35 and over, that I I think we're just now starting to scratch the surface of what the glory days will be. Does does the like eliteness or the elite level of the athletes um, pull everybody else with it, or does that distance the competitors from the regular CrossFitter? I think it's pulling more people into it. Um, with the added the added formats, uh, I think when they added uh, a couple years back uh, the Masters qualifier, the top 200, there's a whole group of Masters athletes now that are just chomping at the bit to be in the top 200. I, their goal is no longer, you know, I want to make it to the games. They just want to get in the top 200. And that's become an elite category. Uh, just like for the young guys, there's a whole whole slew of athletes that being a regional qualifier for them is an enormous accomplishment. And uh, realistically, about as high a goal as they're going to be able to achieve. Whereas the top 200 included you know, another 180 athletes in each gender, in each age for the Masters. What What's the most common feedback you get from new clients coming into your box and doing CrossFit for the first time in their life? Uh, again, a lot of them have just seen it on TV, and they're afraid, of, oh, I can't do all that crazy stuff that I see on TV. And that's to convince them that you don't have to do all the crazy stuff, and that everybody starts wherever they are. I, that it's one, I don't know if it's Glassman or Castro's I comment, it may not be for everybody, but it's absolutely for anybody. Bob is a new box owner but he's facing the exact same questions that Josh Murphy did back in 2003 on the CrossFit message boards. This is crazy stuff. I can't do it. But now the people asking the question have seen it on TV first. Does watching Sergio Garcia play golf inspire people to pick up a club for the first time? Maybe not. But watching the best golfers in the PGA play gets me thinking about golf. If I'm not into golf at all, I'll turn the channel. But if I'm a little bit into golf, I'll look at the way he stands. I'll look at the shoes that he's wearing. I'll look at the courses he's playing on. And that might get me a little bit more into golf. And if I'm a recreational golfer, maybe I go out every weekend, I'm probably going to watch the Masters. And as my passion for golf grows, I'm going to watch more and more. And I'm going to learn about the golfers. And I'm going to follow them. And I'm going to do what they do. We need these models to lead people toward the service as they grow in their affinity toward our brand, to use Murphy's words. Do the CrossFit Games scare people away? Maybe, but they also stoke the fire of those with minimal interest. They arouse the awareness in those who are seeking fitness, 
People who aren't interested in fitness are not watching the CrossFit Games. That's fine. We don't need to talk to those people. But people who are thinking about losing a few pounds need models. What other health and fitness message are sedentary people exposed to? Probably just what they see on television. We're meeting them in their living room where they sit, eating chips and doing nothing. Most of the messages around health and fitness that a sedentary person sees revolve around big, dramatic, drastic, dangerous challenges. Biggest loser, extreme makeover. If you're a very overweight person sitting on your couch watching TV, these are the messages that you are receiving about what it takes to lose weight. You have to enroll yourself in some far-off place. It's probably going to be expensive. It's going to be very painful. I'm going to throw up. But... In six weeks, it'll be all over. I'll have lost a ton of weight. And so when I finally make that decision to throw myself under that bus, it's going to be over quickly. We, on the other hand, are trying to sell commitment to people who are receiving this short-term challenge-based message every day. We can't be frustrated by the one-and-done, quick-fix mindset of new clients because this is the media that they're exposed to with the exception of the CrossFit Games. I don't think the challenge mindset is all bad, because if you look at the methodology being used in these challenges, even the more extreme ones, it's all CrossFit. It's people doing box jumps, people are doing cleans and snatches. When Holly Mangold was on Biggest Loser, taking Bob outside and doing snatches off blocks, that was the first time that most of that audience had seen anything that looked like a barbell movement. The challenge has a short-term nature that's attractive to a lot of people. Think about dating and its evolution. Dating is a relationship concept. We are in the relationship business. A hundred years ago, going on a first date usually involved some kind of chaperone and it implied some long-term commitment. You didn't go on a first date with somebody unless you were seriously considering the prospect of marrying them. Commitment was an implied and intrinsic part of that very first meeting. That's why they called it courting. Today, dating is just perceived as a fun recreational activity. We go out with people, we have drinks or dinner, we have a good time, and maybe the relationship goes no further than that. According to some brief research, most women will kiss 15 men and enjoy two to six long-term relationships before marriage now. Commitment is becoming cyclical. That doesn't necessarily mean short-term, but forever ain't what it used to be. And so these challenges can help CrossFit gyms get people in the door in the short term. And then our job is to change their behavior and psychology toward commitment. When you consider short-term behavior to be not a sin, but the new cultural and behavioral norm, you see things in a different perspective. I don't want to run a business with a rotating door. I want 150 clients that I'm going to keep for at least 10 years. But... A lot of gyms need a bright spot. They need a bunch of new people in the door. And as Tommy Hackenbrook said on this show, there reaches a point where if you have 70 members, they've already referred everybody they know. Short-term challenges are also a great way to get into companies because you can run them off-site. The bottom line is that this behavior of short-term challenge is going to lead people to fitness. And the type of fitness they're going to seek is going to be intense, constantly varied, and fun. Their expectations have changed. They know they're going to be doing box jumps at some point and not doing an elliptical. CrossFit, 
your gym is optimally suited to capture these people. As I've said before on this podcast, every idea goes through four stages of adoption. There are the famous early adopters, and then the early majority, and then the late majority, which is what I believe the stage we're currently entering. The late majority is by far, by far, the largest segment of the market. These are people who need to be convinced, who need to try things before they buy them, who need models of success using a certain idea. And all of these people who are interested in fitness know somebody who's doing CrossFit. Every day in CrossFit is somebody's first, but Eric LeClaire was there at the beginning. Here he is again. This was something we stumbled stumbled upon both online, but immediately were sucked in to this portal of other people like me, like looking for that camaraderie, looking for that community, feeling connected to someone on the other side of the country, like maybe feeling connected to somebody up in Canada or feeling connected, at least for me, it was like those guys up in Santa Cruz and man, it's just so close and I could just drive up there this weekend and I could just hang out with them. Like that was super exciting to go back to multiple like CrossFit seminars which turned into kind of like the level ones, was to go back multiple times and really see these same people over and over and over and over again because you're totally different. I'm not necessarily looking to go all the way across the country because it's like you kind of know everybody now. You've been around for a little bit. I was super resistant to social media in the beginning. We had a a website with a, a blog, and we did the classic like list the workouts, post scores or post comments or, you know, post results and comments. And we kept it very um, in-house with the advent, not advent, but with the utilization of things like Facebook. And now we see Instagram and Snapchat and, like, Periscope, podcast and so on. Like, it is so much, the world is so much, it's so large, but yet it's so small. And so the atmosphere is, it's it's so much easier now to see everybody's stuff, to see everyone's program everyone's photos, everyone's gym, everyone's following. Like, you really want to keep track of people, you can do it online right now. I can go look at my five favorite gyms. I could see their workouts. I can see in their gym. I can see videos. I can listen to them on podcasts like this. You know, back then, it was nothing. We, like, waited every month for journal to arrive in our in our inbox. And, like, we were super excited to print it off and, like, read it. And I have originally, like, I don't know, the first 146 journals, three-hole punched in a folder. <laughs> You know, so you looked forward to that communication. It wasn't as instantaneous. Today, I think the atmosphere is way more instant gratification. How has that affected uh, your feeling about CrossFit or your relationship with CrossFit? It's honestly distanced me because I've gotten to a point now where anything that I need can be found immediately, um, but not necessarily inside of HQ's offerings, right? So we've had discussions before about, you know, how many times can you re-attend a level one or a level two or a level three? How many times can you re-attend weightlifting? Like there's comes a point in time where you've got to start, you know, reading different books and going to different seminars and going to different certifications and attending business clinics or business, you know, business seminars and, you know, identifying with like, hey, the weak link um, in this, you know, system is no longer just who's got the best weightlifting club or who's got the best programming. It happens to be like, who actually doesn't know how to run a business? And so like around year four or five, it wasn't so much, hey, thanks HQ 
for the next best specialty certification, it was like, hey, we need to start paying attention to this business stuff. And so I think what's kind of helped me move in like a different direction is like focusing on the aspect that's not necessarily um, advertised or not necessarily supported. And, and I get it. I mean, that's definitely not what Greg wanted to do was to provide business uh, insight, uh, kind of not being uh, the franchise model. Aside from Reebok, how have the games changed since 07, for better or for worse? Both. Uh, sorry if that's my political down the middle of the road not giving you it's an okay. answer. Um, what ended up happening is you go from a gathering where we're celebrating community and a gathering where you're celebrating fitness to now where you're infusing the testing, the uh, the financial gain for the winners, and the sh- like the we got to make it a show in addition to making it a tech. So, you know, at the same time the games went up, those affiliate gatherings went down, right? So instead of getting an opportunity to say, we're going to gather once a year, we're going to celebrate fitness, we're going to keep it grassroots, we're going to keep it organized, we're going to have fun with it, it went, let's kind of move the fun over here and let's make it an absolute dynamic test of our methodology so that we can cast this large net. I think Greg likes to say, I'm going to throw the widest net. I'm going to catch all the fittest in the world and those that say they're fit need to show up to our games and they need to prove their methodology to us and we're going to attract them by this major dollar, like, you know, $275,000 coming, coming, you know, I'd be happy to give you a free spot. Come on in if you want to demonstrate the fitness. And what it was in 07, obviously, was like literally 63 of us coming from California and Arizona and maybe Utah. And actually, I think like 90% of the chins came from California. Uh, I think there was like maybe six total affiliates represented. Um, and it was just, a, oh, in Texas, because Jeremy was there, CrossFit uh, 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 Central was there. And uh, so it was this gathering of everyone who had been hanging out online a couple of years, finally got a chance to go, let's get together, right? For the good, it has massively leveraged the brand recognition on behalf of us, for us, right? Um so it's pushed, like with the ESPN deal, it's pushed the, the name, for better or for worse, into people's living rooms, whether they want it or not. So you get a chance to see it online, you get a chance to see it in the stores, you get a chance to see it on, like, we see it everywhere. Like, you, we've got a, a, a place you can go shopping uh, here that's got Reebok everything, and, you know, you literally walk in the store and you're like, oh, look, there's Stacey Tavar, and then you look over here and there's... <laughs> happens to be Reebok on one side of the facility and then it's Nike on the other side and you're like, oh, there's Lauren Fisher, there's, there's Stacy. They're looking at each other across from Dick's Sporting Goods, right? You can only just observe and kind of notice a few things. So has CrossFit reached a peak, passed a peak, or are we yet to reach a peak? I don't think we're at a peak at all. I don't think so. I think just because there are gyms failing or just because there are gyms closing or just because there are gyms buying other gyms, without looking at the data. And I don't think the, the affiliate growth data is public, so I can't tell you. Uh, only from observation, I don't think we're at market saturation at all. Um, at all. I, I think there's plenty of room for growth. I think there's plenty of room for diversification. I think there's plenty of room for models to improve um, and affiliates to keep growing. So, no, I don't think we're I don't think we're backsliding at all. You know, there are plenty of folks that will say, but the market, and, it, and it, I can't possibly compete, and it, what's, you know, there's five on my block. Well, maybe, maybe there's five on your block. So stand out, right? 
this somebody's got to be the best of the five. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you're going to originally buy into that model, be the best. Matthew Dubrek found CrossFit in 2007 while he was training for Canada's national sailing team. In 2009, he opened up CrossFit Laval, and then he qualified for several regional competitions, both individually and on a team. He is a favorite among the CrossFit Level 1 seminar staff. He's been around and he's seen it all. I think CrossFit in general, like this year, maybe next year, maybe, like it's definitely nice now because if you say to someone that you do CrossFit, whether they have a good opinion of it or not, like they know about it. Like, they don't look at you like, oh, what is this thing? Like, this sounds weird. So I think, like, the glory days are starting to be now in terms of, like, people that have no idea what rich running looks like know who rich running is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's because he was, like, sponsored by Oakley. So they're like, oh, yeah, I saw this guy, like, exercising. You know, they don't even know that it's CrossFit even more like next year and the year after with like all Europe, China, like getting in and Latino America, like it's, it's probably going to be just as big as like at one point bodybuilding was, you know, like everyone in the world almost knew Arnold was. For you personally, Matt, uh, what was your favorite year of CrossFit? Uh, for me personally, I mean, that's definitely just personal. I'd say it's this year because I got to go to the ranch. So I saw, like, where it started and all this. And that was definitely the highlight. That was really cool to go back and see that it did start, like, in a small, you know, on a small venue and and with with a small crew. And the way it was organized this year at the ranch uh, for the games, it was just the athletes and the judges, that's it. And it kind of reproduced, you know, like the beginning. Like there was no spectators. Like it's really just like some guys and girls working out, and that's it. Most of the event like didn't really have music because the trail run you can't really have music. So it was really just like the athletes working out because they like CrossFit, not because like a fan is cheering them or because you know they're really. I mean, yes, they were doing a competition, but. It kind of for a moment went back to like, hey, you're just exercising to exercise, not to be famous and not to try to win something other than the workout. Jay Rhodes and Lacey Vandermerrill own Outlaw CrossFit North. Jay has been to the games twice. Lacey recently went to the Pan Am Games for Olympic weightlifting, a sport that she discovered through CrossFit. There's kind of a distinct, um, and these are they're kind of opposing, but like the the pre-Bach, like the the pre-Reebok years, and then as soon as Reebok came in. So I've been around a long time, like I've been doing this stuff for like seven years, you know, not as long as some, but um, I was fortunate enough to kind of go through those times um, as an athlete, and uh, you know, thinking back to like way back before there was like really, you know, back when the games was like a barbecue. And no one did it for money, no one did it for fame, or no one, you know, there wasn't hashtags and all that stuff. You just did it because you loved it. Um, so I think that's, that's a, um, you know, a glory days for the brand. But at the same 
same time, um, like I was there with the Reebok Canada rep and uh, in one of those first meetings, and the you just knew that it was going to explode, and that was really really exciting. And then to see uh, one of the athletes that went to the games that year, uh, it, it was pretty cool. So I mean, you know, when when you're with uh, uh, when you're partnering with a company that can provide that type of uh, experience, then I think that's got to be a glory day too. So I mean, they're they're completely opposing, but I think they're both valid. And then personal. So this is where this is where I started to really get nostalgic. So uh, I started CrossFit as like a completely like dirt poor, like coming out of university, like $50,000 of debt. And now, you know, we're debt free and own a successful business. Um, I also started as a, someone who felt like they'd lost their identity as an athlete. Um, and then, you know, went on to have some, some pretty good, um, pretty good athletic success. So, um, I'll start quickly with like the way back when I started, um, on the CrossFit message boards and checking.com every night. Uh, there was four guys that I, or I guess three, I was one of the four. Um, Scott Jenkins, who's actually been a Masters competitor the last couple of years of games. Um, Rich Van Meerbeek, who went to the games in 2010, and then a guy named Nick Nickel. Um, we would spend hours on those message boards with our workout logs, and it was just a really exciting time. You know, it was like that lust phase of CrossFit when you're like, I told everybody about it, and, like, I remember coming home. My, my roommates didn't give a crap what I was doing, but, like, I was like, do you, do you know how many push-ups and pull-ups that is in 10 minutes? Like, you break it all down. Like, do you know, do you know what my work capacity is? And they, I don't know, I just wanted to talk about it. So that was pretty cool. Um, that was kind of a one of the glory days for me. Um, the next one was actually something that was completely by accident. Um, so when I started... Um, coaching at an affiliate, I had already been doing CrossFit for over a year, and I had already been to a regional. Um, so there was kind of this this thing going around that, like, oh, it wasn't hard for Jay, and he didn't go through the struggles that we we went through. So I put together um, that my journey into CrossFit video um, for the members of, of that gym um, just to show them that I did struggle and I had to work really hard to get to where I was. Um, and so what was completely by accident was that a week later it had like a hundred thousand views. Um, and you know, this is, uh, winter of 2011. So like by 2012, I had this YouTube channel that had like almost 2 million views. Uh, <laughs> and all it was was me working out. Like there was no instructional videos. There, there was nothing but just workouts. Um, and this is before people were doing social media really and like, you know, Instagram and, you know, um, so that was pretty neat. And there was like, I got messages from all over the world, um, almost every day, just people kind of like rooting for me for the games or whether they, they've been inspired and, you know, it was, the video was one of the reasons that they started or like they can just relate to it. So, um, personally, that was probably the coolest thing that's happened. Um, and then finally, just kind of where we're at now, um, I would be crazy to say that we're not in a glory day right now because just being able to share this with everybody, um, you know, like even I, I joke around that I get to follow Lacey around the world watching compete at, you know, world championships and Pan Ams, but um, I, did, I taught her how to lift back, like, you know, back six, seven years. 
that kind of come to fruition. Um, and then the most recent one, so there, there's a girl that uh, she's actually um, going to be moving on from our gym. Uh, she drives 40 minutes each way to get to our gym and drives by about three or four others, probably more actually now. Um, and she just passed her firefighting exam. Um, and it was her last day um, just in, in July. And I've invited her back for a day next week, and we're going to kind of honor her. Um, but basically, like, we've kind of played our part in her life, um, and now her schedule doesn't really allow her to travel quite that much, and, and she's moving on. But um, I just had a feeling that, what like, when I met her, she wasn't the kind of person that would kind of chase a dream like that. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I've just, I've just seen her grow. So over three years or so, um, you know, she's, she's really changed. So I asked her this morning before I got on the road, uh, and she texted me back saying that, yeah, she actually tried to get on with fire six years ago and failed. Um, I didn't know that. She failed the, uh, the physical and that this time she went through, she didn't do any type of, um, any type of special training and she went through, she passed and she's like, she's living her dream. So, um, it's actually like kind of emotional. Like I, I read this message and uh, I'm on the road and I just started crying because like, it's, you know, like everyone has their experience and to be able to, to like change someone's life like that, to actually, you know, they believe in themselves enough to go after their dream now. Like, I don't, I don't know what it's about. if not that. So, um, yeah, we're kind of in a glory day all the time right now because, I mean, that's a pretty big one, but, you know, there's there's stories like that coming up every week. We look back through the filter of nostalgia, don't we? We tend to remember the best parts of history and forget the worst parts. We think about that dusty first games on the ranch and how people were just together to work out. And we think about the tiny community that existed in CrossFit in 2007 I can remember the names of all eight affiliate owners in Ontario that year. In fact, we were all on one phone call talking about maybe buying radio ads to promote the name CrossFit because nobody had ever heard of it. We've been through a hockey stick-like growth curve of CrossFit. We've seen a glut of boxes. The barrier to entry is so low that anybody can literally do it. And now, murmurs, substantiated or otherwise, of boxes closing, people de-affiliating. These things have us pining for a simpler time back then. And as we look through our rose-colored glasses, we remember feelings of warmth and community and happiness. And we tend to forget that people didn't always get along, that gyms weren't profitable back then, that we were all just kind of figuring this out through trial and very expensive error. As the affiliate community primes for the next fight, I think it's good that not everybody will be making the journey with us that there does exist competition between boxes and that only the boxes that are best at business will thrive and survive. Just like a herd of gazelles, our sickest and weakest can't be pulled along with the fastest, most powerful, and most agile. If that makes me sound heartless, consider this. I still do a free 30-minute phone call with anybody who needs help. I'm banging on the door of a thousand of these now. I can show you my phone records to prove it. But as the weaker gyms, shut down. Their good coaches don't go back to a job at the 7-Eleven. They move to better boxes, boxes that are profitable. And those boxes improve with the addition of these great coaches. The best clients 
move to these better boxes. The best keep getting better. The herd gets faster. We outrun the lions. We stay prosperous. And that's why our glory days are still ahead. The surge, in other words, is still before us. How will you capitalize? Soon, Mike Michalowicz will tell us. If I could give advice to any CrossFit gym in six words or less, it would be this. Tell better stories. Ask better questions. Every week on this podcast, I try to do both of those things. If you like it, do us a favor and give us five stars on iTunes. It helps. You did me wrong. You'll never know. This card's so hard.